to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your Hi, everyone. Host. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Ben Pritchard, and welcome to the Construction Big Breakfast. Today, we'll be diving into embodied carbon, uh, give a little bit of background about what that is, what the impact it has on construction and vice versa, what impact the construction industry has on sort of carbon and embodied carbon specifically. And joining me today uh, is our special guest and expert, Yara. Uh, welcome to the uh, podcast, Yara. Uh, can you give our listeners a little introduction to yourself, please? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Ben. Um, so just a bit of background about myself and my role. So I'm a environmental design engineer with Elementa Consulting based in London and essentially a lot of the work that we do covers operational and embodied carbon as well as well as covering some just general sustainability services so in the past year or so there's been a bigger focus on embodied carbon um, completing more whole life carbon assessments, looking at circular economy principles in some projects and how we can really push for that and consider it early on in the design process. Um, so my day to day consists of kind of a balance between operational and more recently more embodied carbon tasks. Cool. Uh, well, you're the uh, perfect person for today's podcast thing. If uh, you live and breathe, uh, well, is living and breathing carbon a good thing? Probably not. Uh, probably <Yeah>. Uh, anyway, the uh, first question that we ask all our guests, um, and it'll be no difference for yourself, Yara, is what did you have for breakfast? Um, so I was actually more nervous about this question than probably <laughs> anything else we're going to be discussing, just because it, it's really easy to answer this in a boring way. Um, and then while racking my brain for any interesting things to have for breakfast, I was in a rush this morning and then had fruits which is probably the most boring thing you could have for breakfast well you'd be um, surprised i mean we had one guest um and his breakfast and lunch most days was dried porridge oats so uh, you know not even any milk in there so oh no <laughs> yeah. and we've had we we've had a few people who don't have any breakfasts a couple who've had a snickers bar so that's, we, that's we do have on some days of the week but I tried not to make that the case today, so we don't encourage unhealthy habits. Um, no, and um, you know where uh, this will be podcast 50, 60 something. And I remember the, the first few um, that I did, yeah, like you, it was, didn't mind the subject we were talking about, but it was like, oh no, I've got to have something special for breakfast. <laughs> and you sort of go over the top and I'll have like, eggs royale or something like that. And these days it's like, well, I had a bowl of cereal. Yeah. Uh, doesn't doesn't get too fancy on most days. No, the, the the worst thing though about my breakfast today is I made my cup of tea and then I forgot about it. So by the time I remembered, oh. it was cold. So oh, that was yeah, easy mistake. Easy yeah, mistake. bit of a disappointed disappointment Saturday, <laughs> but never mind. Um, right, enough about breakfast, uh, and let's sort of turn our um, uh, turn the subject onto uh, embodied carbon. Um, now, obviously, carbon um, is something. Um, as the sort of sustainability conversation in construction has gathered pace over a number of years, um, has been front and centre to a certain uh, level, but embodied carbon not necessarily 
been an important part of that conversation. Um, so um, for, for those listeners and watchers out there who might not um, fully appreciate the difference between uh, maybe the operational carbon they're used to talking about and uh, embodied carbon, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction into what it actually is? Yeah, of course. So embodied carbon is essentially all your carbon emissions that are associated with your materials. So what's actually physically going into your building. Um, that covers a range of different stages of the materials. It's not just it's not just the extraction. That's that's part of it. That's a one. It goes into the transport of transporting this material to the factory, actually manufacturing uh, the product itself. So what the what the factories are consuming um, to mold the product to any kinds of finishings or things that need to occur to it for it to be sufficient to put into a construction site. Um, and then there's transporting it to the site as well. All the emissions associated with that, and then the uh, construction emissions and all of that covers what we'd call um, the state, the A stages. Um, if we go into B, that's the second part. So it's A, B, C, and then there's D as well. But I'll touch on that a bit more. But um, so the B stages essentially for embodied carbon are B1 to B5, and that's associated with the material in use. So um, throughout the building life cycle, when um, the material needs to be maintained, when it needs to be repaired, replaced, all of this has embodied carbon emissions associated with it that are counted in these stages. And then C is the end of life of the building. So those stages cover the deconstruction, um, transporting to waste facilities, waste processing, and then C4 is disposal if, if the materials are disposed of sent to landfill. Um, so these are the three main um, life cycle stages that are covered in a whole life cycle carbon assessment. Um, sometimes or a lot of the times you will see a life cycle stage D, which is disclosed separately, and that's the removals associated with the materials as well. And just to kind of loop it together, where operational falls in is in the B stages, so the use of the building. Um, there's a B6 and a B7, which are the operational energy use and the operational water use. And those two are what generally come out of energy modeling assessments, PHPP calculations, and are actually um, informing what the operational use um, of the building is. And there, the that operational carbon is very much what we, um, are, as an industry, really are focused on for, for a number of years, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So just in terms even of our our um, MEP systems, we've gotten um, they've been kind of designed to be more efficient nowadays. Heat pumps are really um, a focus now in the industry um, using renewable technology, uh, decarbonizing the grid. All of this um, helps to improve the operational use and the operational carbon. Um, but then that's where embodied carbon becomes so much more important because if you really look at the overall pie chart of what what's contributing to the building's carbon you slowly see the operational getting smaller and smaller and the embodied carbon having a larger impact um, which really has i think driven the push recently to to focus on that you just answered the question as well to ask <laughs> so do you think that's why we're now looking at embodied carbon because we've got to a stage where 
improvements to operational is saturated to an extent. So we've got to sort of, you know, if we're going to achieve the sort of the net zero uh, principles and ideas that we have um, as an industry, we now have to focus on embodied carbon to actually make a dent in it. Yeah, exactly. So just just because it's something that you is just looking much more impactful, and as well as that, due to the the nature that the building industry is moving moving towards and really pushing for a lot of retrofit projects, um, when you look at a retrofit project, a lot of that is happens first of all quite regularly in a building so it might happen every 10 years where a tenant comes into a new office and wants to rip out some interiors and change that so with that becoming more regular um, the embodied carbon associated with that becomes even more important to consider because um, it's basically almost 100 percent, or it can be a really large percentage of what the contribution is and um the so the obvious um sort of naughty boy material as it were is uh, sort of concrete and cement that's where you sort of you automatically go to when we, you think of embodied carbon but is that fair is that right um so something about two things that need to be considered when looking at a material is first of all it's global warming potential um so what it's kilogram co2 impact is per the kilogram of that project uh product sorry and then again um how much of it is being used. So one of the reasons why concrete gets flagged up as such a big contributor is just because it's used in really, really big volumes in lots of buildings and its substructure, it's massive and then superstructure as well and all its concrete decks and framings and so on. So that is one that really gets flagged up often. I'm not a concrete expert, but um, I would say that's one of the main drivers it gets bought up. Now, something that's really being pushed for and um, discussed in a lot of circular principles, you'll see structural engineers really being aware of this and trying to, to incorporate this in their projects is including cement replacements in their concrete. Um, so in the UK, that could be fly ash or GGBS commonly used, and that helps to drive the embodied carbon impact down. Um, Typically, the other things need to be considered, like curing times and obviously the the structural support that it offers. Um, but there's there can be a good balance that's found, which helps the embodied carbon emissions as well as keeping the structural um, building, you know, at a good standard. Yeah, and um, so the other sort of the conversation to have is. Um, do you need the concrete at all? You know, is there a sort of a timber CLT or, or other uh, alternative that, that could and should be used? Um, yeah. uh, because, uh, you know, obviously, the, the in principle, uh, it, it should massively reduce the embodied carbon. But I guess transport is the biggest issue when it comes to uh, timber uh, and yeah. embodied carbon. Yeah, so so like you said, um, there are definitely alternatives to consider. Um, cross laminated timber is a huge one that's really being um, tested a lot, especially as kind of a sensitivity analysis in projects as if I if I um, used a cross laminated timber construction, how much is this really driving down? And there there is a significant reduction depending on the product project type. Um, but like you said, there are additional things that need to be considered with timber, um, transport, as well as timber needs treatment due to fire regulations or whether it's aesthetic purposes, and that affects then the end of life of the timber. Once things have been uh, treated in certain ways, there's certain chemicals that don't allow it to be recycled. Um, so 
you, you might be all good and well on your upfront carbon, but then when you're looking throughout the use and the end of life of that product, there's other things that come into play. Um, and something else that co contributes to, you know, concrete frames or concrete structures is also to consider all the steel reinforcement that's going into that. So it's yes. not just the contribution of the concrete. Um, steel itself, I mean, it's a metal. It, it's it's uh, global warming potential is higher than concrete, um, but it will be used in less amounts than concrete. But still, there's always a significant proportion that um, of weight associated to that reinforcement as well. So if um... Elementor are obviously sort of uh, an organisation that is ahead of the curve in, in many ways um, when it comes to sort of thinking of whole life, embodied carbon and things like that. But if you were a sort of a, a new engineer, um, sort of a, a newly graduated or just someone who is moving away from sort of more traditional uh, methodologies to really sort of considering uh, the impact on carbon, how do you think it changes the uh, design process? Um, in construction, what questions do you ask differently? Um, does it change the the sort of the general sort of workflow and phasing of a project? Um, so things things that might change or main questions to be asked uh, would generally just to be um, is it being is what's going into the building being considered? in a way other than just aesthetically, first of all. Um, and then once it's being designed, so whether structure, structural engineers are doing loads, there's there's um, a way of designing early in design stages where you're really over um, estimating maybe uh, quantities or loads that are required in the building. And usually that's refined during the design stage, but it is just something that um, we tend to you know specify and try and push on that this is, looking at how the materials can be reduced as the design is refined and you know your use and your expected occupancy a bit more. Um, so essentially just being conscious of methods of reducing your embodied carbon, not just designing a certain um, design structurally or architecturally and then going through with it. Um, another thing is to highlight how they foresee the building being used. Um, so if there's high replacement, they're expecting, you know, refurbishments a lot, whether sometimes for commercial spaces, for offices, you can expect that. Sorry. Ah, right away. <laughs> there we go. Um, so for offices or maybe hotels, you know, these tenants change quite often. So it's something to plan out. Um, another thing is to be conscious of all of the elements that are going into your building. So while substructure, superstructure really are a large amount and we focus on it, um, looking at your finishings, there's finishings that could be really um, contribute a large percentage, like some types of carpet, for example, um, can be quite harmful in terms of their carbon emissions um, and another one which I'll touch on and we can talk about in more detail is MEP so we've um, Element has been working with SIBSI primarily my colleagues Clara and Louise to develop the TM65 um, all about calculating the embodied carbon of MEP in buildings because it's something that um, generally either assumptions were being made or um, or it was being left out completely and due to the really high proportions of metals used in MEP products as well as refrigerants as well this really um, 
in the overall pie chart of the embodied carbon of a building project, it is quite substantial. So the SIPC TM65 methodology was developed to help um, consultants or, or anyone involved in the design team to estimate and quantify these MEP impacts, especially during early design stages. And the focus of it being created was that um, EPDs are not widely available um, and EPDs are all the environmental product declarations that you can find associated with different MEP equipment, which will tell you what the global warming potential impact is. Um, so although it's something that we, we see coming up in the industry, it's still not widely available, which is why people tend to maybe have discluded it um, earlier on. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming more and more important for a number of reasons to sort of better understand um, uh, the, the, your materials and your products and your systems. Um, yeah. you know, the embodied carbon is one thing, um, but also, you, you know, you guys at Elementor, you do a, a, a lot around sort of uh, wellness yeah. and how the, um, how the systems and products can impact sort of the, the end user and things like that. So again, that's all part of this, the, uh, the same story, isn't it? You've got to yeah. understand how those materials interact with the people who use them. Exactly. And uh, so in, so there's a lot to think about when you're thinking about embodied carbon and trying to sort of create something that uses less, creates less and requires less refurbishment. And that refurbishment is sort of interesting because, um, you know, clients can be very much focused and only care about their refurbishment. Um, you know, they might only be leasing um, the building over a short term and they don't care maybe what happens to, to the next person. So it must be difficult at times to get people to, to have the conversation with you. Yeah, especially if it's something that's kind of ever changing. Um, so one thing that's um, kind of a main question to ask is when a building is being constructed. So for new build developments, um, a prompt that's asked specifically in the GLA and in its circular economy guidance is what's the strategic approach of the building. So depending on the lifespan of your building, um, depending on how often you see it being used, um, what are you designing for? So they give you like designing for adaptability, designing for longevity, for flexibility. Ideally, these things should be um, considered in a building project anyways nowadays, considering that we really want to reduce our construction waste, our end of life waste as well. Um, so there's a lot of thought that goes into um, designing for the adaptability of the project, even from day one. Um, and that could be in, in things such as this is, it's mostly related to a lot of structural elements. Again, coming back to the structure is, you know, the spans um, of the columns. Can it, can it be something that could change the the typology of the building because sometimes if they're fixed in a certain way it it, it um, limits the amount of the, the different types of uses that could um, that it could change to potentially in the future and in terms of the the the, the construction phase but also how the design uh, sort of impacts that so um you know again uh, along with the sustainability there's been a, a drive in the industry to adopt modern methods of construction mm -hmm. and uh, off-site and all things uh, related to that. Is that a way potentially of, uh, and uh, do you see um, sort of in the data show you that modern methods are a good way to, to reduce uh, carbon? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's such an important question. And I think there's a lot um, that's being discussed around it. I actually listened in on um, a talk that was given by, you know, experts on this. Um, I think in terms of how it affects embodied carbon, it definitely does. Um, one of the main things it does that is reducing a lot of the construction waste that's going into the product. So, you know, you know, if it's if it's constructed off site in a factory where this is this specific type of product they're used to manufacturing, um, you can really eliminate construction waste that way. Then again, you need to factor it in transport. Um, so, you know, um, looking at places locally where this could be sourced sustainably. Um, but something always to, to keep in mind with modern methods of construction and off-site off construction is um, just how it fits into the supply chain, really. Um, and one of one of the main points I think um, many of the speakers were referring to is just to really keep that clear log and clear communication between the suppliers and the end users um, and the contractors. So it's really clear where things are coming from um, and kind of keeping that translation really transparent. Yeah, that, that where it comes from. I, I remember years ago, um, there was a, a, a hotel built in the southeast somewhere and um, initially everyone was like, oh, this is great. So, you, you know, a very containerized build. Uh, but most of the 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 sort of the the units and the containerized uh, side of things came from sort of you know China and that part of the world. So when you started to consider the amount of carbon and time and everything to to bring it over, there was a lot of good, but there was also some negatives around yeah. sort of the the process of how that was built. Definitely, uh, yeah, that's that's a perfect example where the yeah what it what it looks like appears great, but really if you're diving deep into numbers, um, you probably see a few numbers that are a bit. Um, um, harmful in their carbon emissions. So what what do we as a as an industry um, sort of really need to focus on? So yeah, sustainability is um, sort of a, a real focus, COP26 and things like that coming up soon. We're going to highlight it even more. Uh, and, but what is it that we, because as an industry, um, you know, most of the carbon in in the UK and worldwide in some way, shape or form is either created through the process or building or by the buildings we build. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what is it that we need to do more of um, to, to, to give us a, a brighter future? Um, looking at what we already have um, is definitely the best place to start. A lot of the um, impacts associated with materials comes from that raw extraction of the material itself. Um, so looking at materials that are coming off different projects, what what can be recycled, the, the recycled content of existing uh, materials when you're speaking to a supplier. So asking for clarity on that information. Um, they, a lot of the times, if it has recycled content, they should be able to specify, you know, this aluminium is 50% recycled. Um, in the UK, looking at steel specifically, that's quite it's generally uh, quite common that a lot of steel you'll find steel rebar is recycled from from um, building construction projects and that automatically you know you can eliminate all those impacts associated with the a1 um, raw extraction of that material um, so I'd say that's a main a main area we need to start looking at um, again just providing clarity on data so specifically um, looking at EPDs where possible, so we're not using numbers that are based on assumptions, um, which might not be the most accurate thing. Um, 
getting manufacturers to actually produce EPDs um, and give clarity on the numbers and the data that we're we're putting into our our construction projects. And um, uh, we're not far off having to uh, wrap up soon. So um, uh, is there so having the conversation is great. Doing better with what we've got is great. But in the last sort of year or two, um, has there been something, some sort of new product, material, tool, some sort of innovation that's really excited you and you think this could be a bit of a game changer or are we not there yet? Um, I mean, this might be biased, but I would, <laughs> I would definitely say the TM65 methodology is something that's really new and uh, and should really help to push the industry in a positive way um, and accelerate accelerate the way that we um, are calculating embodied carbon in our in our buildings um, architectural elements structural elements in terms of embodied carbon although still quite new are something that that has been considered before there is a methodology to calculate it um, but MEP was always that really big gap um, so that's definitely um, something that for, for me I thought um, it should be pushing the industry in a really positive direction and on top of that it's just more recently um, an alignment between Leti um, Whole Life Carbon Network and Reba where they released a kind of document publication on aligning their targets for 2020 for 2030 as well as a committing to definitions of embodied carbon, whole life carbon, operational carbon, because there's so much discrepancy that it was difficult to understand when speaking to someone uh, which type they were really referring to. So I think mm. things like that, to have that um, industry-wide um, agreement is really useful in how we move forward. Yeah, it'll let us have informed conversations and help us really sort of, you know, drive. You, we can we can better ask the question that needs to be answered at the moment rather than trying to find answers before the questions defined, yeah. which uh, we, we often yeah. do. Everyone will be um, on the same page, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. No, that's fantastic. Uh, well, um, on that note, um, we will sort of uh, wrap up today's podcast. Uh, Yara, that was very insightful. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully our sort of listeners and watchers out there have learned a little bit more about embodied carbon, a little bit more sort of around what it means. Um, and what have you um, and I'm sure if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with, with, with you or Elementor um, they're more than welcome to um, if they read the, the bio the, the link to the Elementor website and, uh, and other social channels will be there um, so uh, finally sort of a, a thank you to, to everyone who is listening uh, and watching uh, please do make sure that you uh, like and subscribe um, and if you really like us please do leave us a fantastic five-star review uh, if you don't like us please don't review and um, there's no need to carry on uh, and um, uh, do uh, uh, keep a keep an eye out for our next episode uh, which will be out soon uh, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast um, or you'd like to collaborate uh, with us or uh, Elementor, uh, do drop us a line, uh, go on our website, uh, www.invent.com, um, uh, fill out the contact form and we'll be in touch with you uh, soon. Um, so one last time, Yara, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, much, much appreciated, very insightful and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Great. Thank you, Ben. And thanks, you know, as you said, thanks everyone for listening. Um, and of course, any queries or anything related to what we discussed today, feel free to reach out. Thank Want you. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? 
Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.